As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I'm going to have all my units in one property and have that be my strategy moving forward. So every time I buy a property, I can fix it up, whatever, raise the rents, increase the value in some form or fashion, and then liquidate and then upgrade to a bigger property. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Well, we have Theo Hicks like he is usually with us on Follow Along Fridays. Theo, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Joe. How you doing? I am doing well and looking forward to diving in today. So best ever listeners, as a refresher, the purpose of Follow Along Friday is to talk about things that we are discovering and learning along our entrepreneurial journey so that we can share those observations with you to help you along your real estate entrepreneurial journey. And today we're going to be focused on Theo's portfolio that he has chosen to sell. And last follow-along Friday, he mentioned it, and it surprised me. And I was like, well, we need to discuss this. I'd just love to learn more about the thought process. And we didn't have enough time last week, so we decided to dedicate today's conversation to that. So take it away, my friend. I'll kind of just give my general thought process, and then you can ask any follow-up questions that you would like. So as most people know, when I first bought these properties, we talked about them a lot on the podcast and kind of the issues that I faced and kind of how I overcame them. But kind of to take a step back, when I bought these properties, my initial plan was and to- what's what, Taking a step back even further real quick, what are the property? How many units? Uh-huh. Just give us a lay of the land. So there are three fourplexes. So total of 12 units. All three fourplexes are on the same street. Two are right next to each other. And then there's two houses in between. And then my other fourplex- and when I bought them, the seller was actually selling five fourplexes on that same street that were essentially all in a row. I think there was maybe one property in between. And I bought three of them about 
a little bit under what they were listed for. Good thing, because I think they appraised for uh, the list price. So I kind of had built-in equity right away with the properties. Mm-hmm. But when I initially looked at them, based off of my understanding of that area, I knew that the rents were low. Even based off of the condition of the units, the rents were just, were just too low. So my plan was to go in, buy the properties, obviously, and not do any value renovations right away because all the leases were month-to-month leases. So I was going to go in there and just raise the rents to market rates. And then eventually, once I started to see other properties start to upgrade their units with new appliances, you know, new floors, things like that, then I was going to do that using the cash flow that I made during the year, two years that I was holding on to the properties after increasing the rents. Mm-hmm. As everyone knows, that's not what happened. I thought that the properties did not have a high level of deferred maintenance because of the inspection that I received. Boiler, and, gotcha. I remember that. And, and there was the boiler issue. And then there was plumbing issues. I had to replace multiple stacks. So now that involves breaking into the walls and replacing those cast iron stacks. What's a stack for anyone who's not familiar? The main sewage pipe in the house. Like when you flush the toilet, when the tub drains, when the sinks drains, it all pours down there. And these older cast iron pipes were not only themselves corroded, but there's all these like twists and turns. And whenever there's a turn, all of the crap literally will pile up in there. So the hole gets smaller and smaller until it gets clogged and nothing can go through it. So I had to replace multiple ones of those. So essentially every time that I would make cash flow a few months in a row, I'd have to end up spending all that cash flow to fix something up. So when I finally got to the point where the majority of the deferred maintenance was fixed up, I kind of had a decision of, okay, I can either now go back and renovate these units and increase the rents by $100, $150. Or since I have been able to raise the rents, I can liquidate, pull out the equity that I initially put in, as well as the extra equity that I have and the money that I have saved up to buy one property. So one apartment, 20 units, 25 units. It's not me, whatever. But kind of my thought process behind that was, number one, I want to buy a property regardless. So it's either I'm going to have these 12 units that I'm going to have to take some of my personal money to fix up, which means that I have less money to buy another property that I would probably also want to fix up. And it might not necessarily be right next to these properties. And so I'm going to have four or five or six fourplexes kind of scattered across Cincinnati as opposed to just having a 20 unit or 25 unit in one spot and using all that money to fix up that property. So that's kind of my thought process behind it right now. In terms of the numbers, can you give some concrete numbers for what option A is in terms of if you kept it and you had put more money in, how much money all in would you be and any other relevant information there? And then option B is the option you're choosing to do what are the properties worth? What do you have into it? How much are you going to come out with it projected? Yeah, I bought them each property for 220. Okay. And I put 25% down. Everything that I've done to the property so far has just been using the cash flow from the property. So I haven't had to dip into my personal bank account yet to actually fund any of these deferred maintenance issues. Okay. Luckily, I had like 15 grand saved up just in case something happened and something did happen instantaneously for the boilers. So once I had paid for all of that, I was able to just use cash flow to fix everything up. So from my perspective, I still consider myself in at 220 total because I didn't have to come out anything extra. It was just from the cash flow. Maybe I should be considering it differently, but this is kind of how I'm looking at it. Uh-huh. 220 per place? Yeah, per property. Okay. All right. So 660 total. 
Yeah. And then right now they're listed at 275. And assuming it goes around there, I would come out with between 45 down to maybe $30,000 per property. And then you must take away the commissions, let's just say 25 to 30 grand per property. So somewhere around 75 to 90 grand in profits. That's right. But the biggest issue is that I could technically refinance and then use that capital to fix these things up. Or I could use my own personal capital, invest it into this property to fix them up. Something else we want to talk about too is the thought process, the conversation we had yesterday about you selling your properties and kind of what potential cash on cash return you would get with that capital by investing in something else as opposed to investing it into your property. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had that exact analysis yet. I'm assuming it's going to come out to pretty much the same. I kind of just want to get a property and I don't have all my units in one property and have that be my strategy moving forward. So every time I buy a property, I can fix it up, whatever, raise the rents, increase the value in some form or fashion, and then liquidate and then upgrade to a bigger property. So this next property I buy, I'm going to do the exact same thing. Something that I definitely want to talk about is some of the things that I'm going to do differently on the buy side. But assuming that I put those into place, buy this 25-unit property, increase the rents. For this 25-unit property, the value of the property will actually be dependent on the rents, which is not the case for these because they're residential. Right. Force the value there for two to three to four years and then sell again and buy a 50 unit property in combination with the money I've saved up and the money I made from the property. So it's less of, okay, this deal that I have right now, if I invested money into it, it wouldn't be a good idea. Obviously it is. And anyone who buys it will be able to do that. It's more of wanting to kind of continue to get larger and larger properties and just have one property in one location. Okay. A couple questions. One with your 12 units, the three, four plexes, are you currently packaging them as one opportunity and then pricing it based on a cap rate? Because I've seen people do that with a portfolio of single family homes. That's essentially how I got to my list price. So I figured out what the total package would be worth and then just divided it by three and have that be each of the individual property listings. You figured out what the total package would be worth, but was that based on how residential is underwritten or using? Using the net operating income and the cap rate. Okay. What cap rate did you use? Do you remember? I think it was six or 6.5. I can't remember exactly what it was, but six or 6.5. Sounds like a good cap rate. Yeah. For you. Uh, (laughs) I based it off of a few other properties that were very close. I recently sold kind of based off of their rent, assuming that their expenses are close enough to mine. And those ones actually sold. One sold for a little bit over 300. And that one was a stronger NOI than mine and one sold for, I think, 240 and the NOI was a little bit weaker than mine. But the cap rate would be the same because they're all in the exact same little neighborhood in Pleasant Ridge. And then just to answer your last question about the packaging, on each of the individual property listings, it mentions that this is one of three properties that are sold and you can buy all of them or individually. Okay. Are you asking them to pay a premium for one or can they buy one at the same price as if they bought two or three? Yeah, just at the same price. And it's funny because when I was initially buying these properties, I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, oh, if I'm buying all three properties, then maybe I can get them at a discount. But I was thinking the opposite. It wouldn't be a discount if you buy all three, but there would be a premium if you've just bought one or two. No, I don't have that. Okay. Just as a relevant note, you should post this in our Cincinnati meetup group, the three deals. So my next question is, so taking a step back, your focus is on apartment syndication. Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Why buy a 20 unit versus keeping this cash 
and then using it to put into the next deal that you do when you syndicate in a larger apartment community. I will. I'm not going to use all the money that I have to buy because I, mean, I could technically I could probably buy like a 30 or 40 unit. I still want to have and obviously personal reasons like six months of personal expenses saved up just in case something were to happen. And then we're going to keep at least our minimum investment amount for our syndication in our bank account so that when we find a deal, I can invest in that deal as well. Okay. I wouldn't necessarily say it's for diversification reasons. Maybe it actually is, but I do want to have kind of my own properties on the side for not necessarily retirement, but just kind of continue to build that up on the side. From my experience with these 12 units, it doesn't take as much time as long as I'm not managing them myself. It just takes speaking with your management company every single week for half an hour to an hour to make sure that everything is operating smoothly. Of course, it's after you actually buy the property. And since I'm only buying properties every one to two to three years, that kind of investment is fine. And it won't really take away from my spending time on apartment syndication. I kind of just want that to be my 401k in a sense. Okay. And then the third thing is what you and I talked about yesterday when I called you up and I said, Theo, I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on how to think about this. And the scenario is the three single family homes that I own. And one of the homes is coming up for a lease renewal and the property management company did an inspection of it and it needs some help. They've got a dog and he chewed up all the outdoor wood frame area because apparently he wanted inside, but they weren't letting him inside. And there's a couple other things that need some loving. So whatever, invest in it it fix it up fine with me. I'm looking at it from the long-term standpoint, but is it the best approach to continue to rent those homes out when there's trapped equity in each of those three homes? And I've mentioned the numbers before on this show. I'll just quickly mention them again. The homes are about 175000 each, so in total $525,000, and I have $157,000 in debt on them. So that's about $368,000. Let's just say fixing them up, broker fees, blah, blah, blah. I could probably net $300,000. So I'm removing $68,000 off the top. So about $300,000 trapped equity in total from those three homes. So I came to you yesterday and I was like, hey, how would you think about this? And you went through an interesting thought process. So can you just talk about that a little bit, what we discussed? Yeah, so kind of how I thought about it was you've got a certain amount of equity trapped in the property that you could technically pull out and invest in something else and get some sort of return. So something to think about when you're kind of looking at a situation is, okay, so I've got this equity. What return am I currently making on that equity right now based off of whatever cash flow you're getting per month? And we came to the conclusion this would be the selling scenario based off of how much equity you'd be able to take out if you sold. And then also based off of how much cash flow you're making per month it would be about a 3% cash on cash return. Yeah, because right now, the three homes year to date, well, actually through March, so the, the first quarter of the year, they made, they said 2300 bucks, $9,200 for mm-hmm. the year that they're on pace to make. So you divide that by three homes and you divide that by 12, they're making 255 bucks a month, each of the homes on average. So you said, okay, well, that's 9200 bucks a year divided by the trapped equity that you have in it, which is 300,000. That's a 
0.07% return on that trapped equity. Not so good. Can you do better than that? And I was like, well, yes, <laughs> we can do better than that when I take that 300 and invest it into our apartment syndications that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So then it made it crystal clear to me that, okay, I need to make a move on these homes. The other option is to refinance. And when I refinance these three homes, talking to the lender could probably get about $100,000 out from the homes. But then I've got a bunch of paperwork. I'd have three different loans. I'd have to go through the process. And my financials are not easily understood by banks. So there's a long process that it's just a headache. And if I can just rip the bandaid off. I don't want to be melodramatic. This is a quality problem to have. So I, I, I guess I shouldn't say that way. But if I want to resolve what I'm trying to resolve, then I think just sell each of the three and then take that money. And so then the question is, do I 1031 into something that you're discussing, a smaller deal, maybe like, I don't know, a six, seven, eight hundred thousand $800,000 property? Or do I just bite the bullet, pay the capital gains, and invest the difference in one of our deals. And I'm on the opposite side of the fence from you. I never want to have a 20 unit or a 30 unit or a 40 unit on my own ever, ever, ever. I want to just pump that money into our deals because I don't want to be on those calls every week discussing a 30 (laughs) unit. I have no desire for that at all. So I won't be doing a 1031. I'm just going to bite the bullet, pay the long-term capital gains, and then pump it into our own deals. Yeah, so I did the same exercise for, for my properties. And the, the ROI that I'm making on that trapped equity is around 4 to 5%. Mm. And again, I technically heard out, like, okay, well, what if I put in more money and I'm able to increase the rents? That was going to be the cash-to-cash return based off of the new trapped equity and the new income. It might be a little bit higher, but that's going to take time. And I'm kind of going to be in the exact same situation with those properties that I would be with just kind of buying a brand new property and I know something else I mentioned was something on the buy side that I definitely need to do. And I know I've talked about this before, but just to reiterate, I really need to be a lot more detailed on my due diligence on the physical condition of the property. So I need to not just look on the outside, not like actually the property, but like very surface level, like, oh, like this looks fine. Certain things that I know need to be looked at in greater detail. And I can't just pass those up. I can't just assume the inspector knows what he's doing. When I'm with the inspector during the inspection, I need to be like, all right, well, like, can you please take a deeper look at the boilers, for example? Or can you please take a deeper look at the plumbing in the basement and kind of let me know, based off of what you see in the basement, how would you interpret the rest of the property's plumbing? So things like that, I definitely need to do up front. It's so funny because I don't think I was as involved with underwriting for apartment deals when I bought these properties. I don't think I was because I definitely did not have our cash flow calculator at that time. I did not use that cash flow calculator to underwrite. And so my underwriting was not as detailed either. It wasn't 50% rule and that was it, but it wasn't definitely not detailed enough. And I was not thinking about it properly. So now I've gained so much knowledge in the past two and a half years since I've owned these properties in regards to the underwriting process. So I'm very, very confident in my ability to find a much better deal in a sense of buying a much better deal on the front end after I actually do proper underwriting and then proper due diligence. I think there are a lot of lessons And I'm grateful that you brought this up and we talked about it.
Yeah. Once I actually sell the property, I'd definitely like to go into more granular detail on it. So once I sell the property, I can talk about the numbers specifically and then talk about more lessons that I learned and then kind of my plan for moving forward. Alrighty, trivia question time. I always enjoy finding these trivia questions. It's a fun exercise. And I enjoy getting the answers wrong every time except for once. (laughs) So last week's question was, it's more of like a fill in the blank. It was one out of three Fortune 500 companies are headquartered in this many markets, this many MSA specifically, metropolitan statistical areas. I think it's at three. The answer is actually six. So I think it was 180 out of the 500 are in six MSAs. And this is from the least to most Fortune 500 companies. San Francisco was sixth. Minneapolis was fifth. Houston was fourth. Dallas was third. Chicago was second. New York City was first. Minneapolis, sneaky, sneaky. That was surprising. I wouldn't have put them on that list. I was just there to see Texas Tech almost beat Virginia about a month or so ago. And I had no idea they had so many Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. Huh. But keep in mind that it's not just the city of Minneapolis, it's the MSA, so it includes St. Paul. Yeah, right. San Francisco concludes all the places surrounding it. So that was the answer to last week's question. This week's question is, in 2018, the total number of jobs nationwide increased by about 1.8%. The question is, how many markets, MSAs again, experience a job growth of 3% or greater, with the national average being 1.79 exactly? How many markets, MSAs, experienced job growth of 3% or greater? How many total MSAs are there in the U.S.? That's a good question. I do not know the answer to that. Approximately, like 300? Well, you don't know, so I... I, I can't even give you that, I guess. I guess. He asked the same question, but you're still going to have the same answer, right? All right, I'm going to say four. four. I, don't know. I don't know even where to begin with that one. All right, so as always, submit your answer to the question either in the comments of this YouTube video, or you can email info at joefairless.com. And the first person to get it correctly will receive the signed copy of our first book. Lastly, we're going to do the review of the week. So if you purchase the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon and you leave a review and send us a screenshot of that review, not only will you receive a link to download the free apartment syndication documents and resources that we have available, but you will also have the opportunity to have your review right a lot on the podcast. This week's review was actually submitted via Facebook. It was from Corey Boatwright, who actually took a selfie with the book. And he said that he's a phenomenal book, Joe Fairless. And he posted that on Facebook. Yeah, Corey, thanks so much for posting on Facebook and tagging me and all the comments from all your friends. And the interaction, I really enjoyed it and reminded me that I haven't interviewed you in a while. I saw Corey at Best Ever Conference in Denver. So looking forward to that interview that we're going to be doing. And then on a separate note, but related to what we're saying, there are 383 MSAs in the United States. Guess how many there are in Puerto Rico? Real quick. Zero. Seven. (laughs) Seven? Seven MSAs in Puerto Rico, yeah. Happened to be in the same Google search, so that's why I mentioned it. Well, best ever listeners, enjoyed hanging out. Hope you got a lot of value from today's conversation. Have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy, 
and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.